Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are concluding a seven-part series called Define Christian. These last weeks we've been thinking about how God himself defines what it means to be a follower of Christ. Each week the readings have been highlighting one or another aspect of what it means to be a, a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. Today we conclude by considering the, the Christian answers doubt with faith, and we'll be uh, drawing from a famous gospel account as we think about that theme. One last time, let's uh, meet our preachers for this series, uh, Pastor Andy Miller from Beautiful Savior in Las Vegas, and Pastor Tom Unke from Shepherd of the Hills in Las Vegas. Also with us today is Professor Alan Sorum from the seminary. So thank you all for serving, and uh, let's get into our discussion for the day. Uh, Andy Miller, we're talking about Proper 14 today. Uh, talk to us about the, the main point for this Sunday in the Define Christian series. Sure. Thank you, John. Thanks, brothers, too. I've really enjoyed this, uh, this series and the opportunities to have these conversations, so thanks. Well, the gospel for each of the last couple of weeks reminded us that the Lord makes us spiritually wealthy. We saw those parables in Matthew 13 a few weeks ago, and then the Lord provides for every need. We saw that last week with um, not just the Old Testament sermon text, but with Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000. Those are, those are really great promises and valuable assurances to repeat over and over again because of our proclivity for doubt, which is the angle that we're taking today. Today, we're looking at the principal remedy for doubt. And to do that, I'll just, uh, better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? I, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible, at least for, for me and for my people, instead of saying a Christian answers doubt with faith, which I know can be properly understood. But for us, I think we're going to go with a service theme of something more like a Christian answers doubt with Jesus. And, and I realize that this series is trying to define Christian, so it's sort of like defining a word with itself, but you can't define Christian without right. Christ. And the way I would say it with a, an illustration is just that I'm a type 1 diabetic who wears an insulin pump. When my blood sugar spikes, I don't need more machinery. I don't need more needles or more tubing. I need more medicine. And so also when I'm bottoming out in faith, insecure about my standing with God, fearful because of the circumstances, they might seem more tangible and much closer than the great assurances of God do, then I only have one recourse. I only have one answer, one shelter in the storm, who is Jesus Christ. And so all of our texts really, for the theme, revolve around God's intervention in our lives for the sake of Christ. He, he lifted Elijah from despair with a word. He works for our spiritual good in all things, not just in the good things. And Jesus always intervenes, especially at critical moments in our lives. So it's just a simple little way to reframe it, I know. But if you wanted to stick with the theme more, I just would angle it to say something more like Jesus is the fuel for the faith that answers doubt. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, totally within your rights to to call an audible and and uh, alter that just a little bit. Um, still fits well within the defined Christian theme uh, that we've been using to connect these several weeks. Um, Tom Unke, let's go to the uh, other scripture readings for today. As Andy mentioned, we'll be focusing on the gospel as our sermon text, but 
Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, each of the other two readings and how they fit together? Sure. Good to be with you again today, and it's a privilege to wrestle with the Word of God with all of you. Obviously, we have the Jesus walking on water and a focus on the disciples and their fear and their doubt. And so the fear and the doubt theme comes up very much in the parallel readings, or not the parallel readings, but the chosen readings. First Kings 19 is the ending part of the story of Elijah. Uh, and the big the comparison here that I think is worth pointing out, or at least observing, is that in the gospel lesson, the disciples had just seen Jesus perform the amazing miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So they should have had uh, a very vivid and clear reminder of just how powerful their Savior was. And the same is true with Elijah. You, you look at it, and he had just had that amazing victory on Mount Carmel. And then circumstances brought up fear in the heart of Elijah. First Kings 19, by the way, this is. And um, Elijah went to all the dark places that fear and doubt can take you. He uh, was, assumed he was alone. He wanted to die. And uh, God, in his patience, uh, showed him a glimpse of the power, but restored him and strengthened him with that still small voice or that low whisper. So clear parallel there, too. Um, and then to go to the epistle reading in Romans chapter 8, it's kind of the... Uh, remedy it's kind of the reminder it's a, a card that you could keep in your wallet anytime there's any fear or doubt that uh, that springs up because romans 8 starting with verse 28 of course if god is for us who can be against us uh, he predestined us he chose us to be his own he gives us all things that's a logical assumption that he's going to provide for us and then those uh, really insightful and inspired questions that Paul asked, you know, who's going to bring any charge against us? It's God who justifies, who can condemn us. It's Jesus who intercedes. What can separate us? Clearly nothing. We're more than conquerors. So if we could keep that Romans 8 in our heart all the time and be strong in it, the doubt and the fear would not find a place, but um, we are old Adam, a new man. So uh, lots of good parallels there. And if you want to go into Psalm 73, we brought this up once before in an earlier lesson. Mm -hmm. Psalm 73 is just how the psalmist is sort of kicking himself and says, I, you know, I had stumbled. I looked at the wicked and they seemed to have everything and they were rich and they were good looking and successful. And my heart ached and I wondered if I had followed the Lord in vain. And then he said, then I entered into the temple and realized, uh, no, God has exactly blessed me with far greater things. And you guide me and I have heaven awaiting me and all those good things. So great readings. All of them would be wonderful texts to preach on. So Definitely. Yeah. And I, I look at uh, this Sunday and these are just some, uh, I mean, every part of scripture is gold, but, um, you know, some of these have been uh, had a special place in the the faith lives of Christians, uh, myself included, um, been really uplifting and important uh, sections of scripture when we've faced doubts, right? And uh, Romans 8 and and 1 Kings, uh, I can think of in particular. Uh, but let's go to the gospel of the day then. Uh, Alan Sorum, could you get our discussion started 
as we think about the gospel of the day for this proper 14. Uh, yeah, I'll just turn it over to you. Highlight anything you think might be helpful to preachers. We assume they've studied the text already, but uh, what are some things that stand out to you uh, worthy of special mention? Thank you, gentlemen. Good to be with you again. I, I'll just touch on some really interesting things, possibly even approaching important things. Um, I think it's really good to read John 6's account of this, just to help illustrate some things that might not be quite immediately so clear in Matthew's account. For example, um, immediately he forced the disciples into the boat. Well, this was immediately after the crowd wanted to make Jesus king. So, so Jesus says, hey, y'all, get into the boat immediately. Um, the disciples being the disciples, they, they might have too quickly become part of that riot that wanted to force uh, royal gowns onto our dear Lord Jesus. Um, and then after Jesus quieted the crowd and then dismissed the crowd, uh, again, when Jesus is in the face of incredible success, uh, he goes to a private place to pray. And in Mark and in Matthew, neither of the gospel writers say why Jesus went to pray or what exactly were the contents of his prayer. But look what, look what um, Matthew says about Jesus praying in this situation. He says, Kati Dion, uh, by himself, and then in the same verse, uh, Manas, alone, he went up to a remote place by himself alone, having put the uh, disciples on a boat to cross the sea, having dismissed the crowd. Now he wants to be with his father. And sorry for being curious, but what was on Jesus' heart right now? Um, I, I, my guesses, my speculation are just so shallow, I'm, I'm shy to even admit to them, but I'm, I'm wondering if Jesus is reconnecting with the Father as to his purpose. I'm wondering if Jesus is reconnecting with the Father as to the necessity of the cross and the thorn and the suffering uh, on his way to glory. Uh, I, I'm just wondering if Jesus is feeling lonesome because nobody around him gets it. Uh, whatever it is I'm wondering, I think the common theme is here is a, a very interesting snapshot at the humanity of Christ. And if our God, man, Savior, the only mediator between God and man needs to needs to get in touch with his father. Um, I, I think that sure is an encouragement for us to not be shy to to go to the father when either we're blessed with success or imminent failure, whichever. Mm -hmm. And and then um, as 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 Jesus and the Gospels do, when they're telling stories, they want to put you right there in the story. Um, picking up on something Tom said, these guys that just saw some incredible glory from Jesus, just snapshots into his true nature with the feeding of the 5,000. But, but they see Jesus now walking on the water, heading back out between somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, just before dawn. And... Uh, <laughs> When the disciples see him, they they literally ekrods and they begin screaming. Can you imagine a boat full of grown men that you know, big tough sailor types? Um, I don't know what image comes to your mind when you when you think of sailors, but I I, uh, I I have an image. And here they are screaming at 
the uh, at their fear that this is this is a that Jesus walking on the water is a phantasma, a, a ghost, an apparition. And then uh, just a small word, but so immediate. Um, Jesus sees their panic, and Oithas immediately said to them, right. "Be of good cheer." He sees their their crisis, and he just immediately says, "Well, well, well, be of good cheer." And now I want to kind of underline something Andrew was saying about answering doubt with Jesus. Just just listen to the Greek. Tharsaita, be of good cheer. Ego I me. Ego I me. Me fabaista. Now, this is a bit speculative, but um, maybe not too speculative. What what where do you immediately get transported? When you hear Jesus say, ego, I me. Um, I see Andrew nodding his head. What, what, do you, what, what comes to your, what, where, are, where are you the, right now, Andrew? The great I am statements. Yeah, you, there you are with Moses and the burning bush and the pre-incarnate Christ saying the same thing, right, Tom? Go ahead. I was going to say that, but then also jumped into my mind was my sheep know my voice. I mean, just, it's me, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, and it changes the whole disposition, but I recognize the I, the I am aspect of it for sure. But mm-hmm. So in the face of their doubt, uh, Jesus presents to them, as far as they can handle it, his true nature, his divine nature, his eternal nature, and matching that eternal nature is his eternal changeless grace and kindness, right? That, that's just worth pondering, I think. Um, and then uh, I think interesting in the Greek is when Jesus, or when Peter says, if it's you, notice that the mood he uses there is indicative. So it's kind of like saying, like, if it is Lord, and I know it's you, uh, invite me out. And, and so Jesus, throughout Matthew, right, just the constant encourager, the constant loving uh, Savior who's constantly calling his disciples to be disciple makers, to, be, to help him preach the word, help him advance the kingdom. He encourages Peter's daring by just simply saying, come. Um, I, I just, such an insight into Jesus as teacher, Jesus as mentor, Jesus as Lord. He just, mm-hmm. he just says, come. And and here's one of my favorite phrases when Peter comes and he sees the wind, you know, like what, what <laughs> Peter sees the wind and seeing the wind just sets him into yet another pack uh, uh, panic. And guess what he does? He starts sinking. And again, you have the exact same word ekrods and he begins screaming and screeching, you know, Lord Jesus, help me, help me. I'm sinking. And then Jesus extends his hand. You know, I mean, was that necessary? Jesus reaches out with his flesh and blood hand. Uh, he could have just said, yeah, you're okay. And he would have popped up on the raging sea like a cork, right? But Jesus extends his hand. And then in the vocative case, he says, oh, you of little faith. Um, I, I'll stick my neck out here and say that just barely sounds like a rebuke. It sounds much more like a tender affirmation of Jesus knowing who exactly who he's dealing with, the big, brash, bold um, uh, Peter. And then he, with the vocative, he names him 
uh, oh, you of little faith, uh, why, why did you not, why did you not believe? And now, uh, Tom, to underline your point, it seems now Matthew's much more generous with the disciples than Mark is. Matthew says they see all this and they worship him. Um, that's that's a Matthew uses that word. I think I counted 13 times he uses that word in his gospel. It doesn't always mean worship. It can mean also just like bow down before. Mm-hmm. But but this is what this is what Matthew's all about. It's calling people to Jesus to become a true Jew, a true son of Abraham, uh, someone who has the same faith in Abraham. The one that, that recognizes in Christ the great I am, the changeless God with a changeless grace. And they recognize that here and they say, we worship you, dear son of God, our savior. Yeah, thank you for that uh, walk through the text. Um, yeah, Mark Mark has more of the doubt, right? Or the confusion there. Um, they're asking, who is this? Uh, but yeah, there, there's faith in their hearts, but it's, it's wavering, um, right? Uh, as Peter's was. Um, Great. Well, let's talk about this text and and preaching it. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, different texts offer us challenges in finding uh, the malady or the sin problem. I don't know that it's such a challenge here, uh, but uh, the, I mean, the doubt uh, that's springing up in Peter's heart as he sees the wind. Uh, but um, share with uh, preachers, if you would, some thoughts on that. How do you convey that? How do you um, apply that or bring that home to your listeners, that uh, doubt that Peter's experiencing? Some thoughts, Tom? Yeah, I see a little bit of a conflict between the promises of God and our own limitations. And uh, I see it in the disciples, too, there. We obviously have gone into this many times. I think I've preached on this text in the Gospels more than maybe any other text, but um, the disciples, of course, seasoned veterans out on the water, but the wind was intense and they couldn't make any headway and that sort of thing. And they're starting to get very frustrated and to the point of, of uh, being very concerned. And um, even in the though they could have had certain faith that they would be fine, I saw some commentators made some remarks about how since Jesus had urged them into the boat, they should have understood that they would be fine in the boat. But I'm not sure if that's great, but always the fear between my limitations and what God has said. I will care for you. I'll take care of you. And certainly Peter saw his limitations when he saw the wind and started to think, wait a second, I can't stand on liquid. And uh, his limitations and his fears overtook his faith. And instead of looking to Christ, kind of basic, but uh, it certainly is at the crux of this lesson and certainly fits into the lives of every Christian daily. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Andy? A couple things. I really like how Tom brought out that tension. I love that. I, I sense that, especially in our world today, people chronically underestimate the degree to which circumstances stalk and haunt their faith, pestering them with doubt, but maybe triggering that doubt with fear. You know, they're so obsessed with headlines and phones and social media or whatever it may be. And like Tom brought out, the the promises and assurances of God are not front and center. Even if they are front and center, 
what is circumstantial and proximal closest to me, uh, it over it it, uh, it takes a higher percentage of my my thought capacity and my my attention because it's tangible. It's what I can see. It's what I I have seen uh, bear out before in practice and in my life. And so it it's almost like God's promises become something surreal and not real. And then mm-hmm. maybe just on a different note, going back to the text with that um, that P- Professor Storm was bringing out, I, it's, it's interesting what you said about Jesus' interactions with Peter, because I don't remember when it was, but when our three kids were, the Vegas gets very few storms, but when we get them, they can be really high, strong winds, and sometimes even the thunder can be a little bit of a thing. So remember one night, though, a year or two ago when that happened, our oldest daughter of the three is the one who came to crawl in bed. You know, my wife, of course, welcomes her in the bed, but you'd expect, and in this case, you know, big brave bravado Peter, he's the one, Lord, Lord, I know it's you. Can you, can you help me here? Can you throw me an olive branch? But anyway, I don't know that it's perfectly Mm -hmm. relevant, but it's just interesting that, uh, it was Peter and the way that Jesus welcomed and interacted his walk out into the water in faith was, was interesting. Right. Right. Um, maybe, you know, is it sometimes believers who appear the, the strongest sometimes who can be susceptible to these really uh, strong crises of faith too? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe the way I would say it is uh, not so much even that it's Peter per se, but that, this is characteristic of the Christian life. It doesn't matter whether you're the strongest, the weakest, the youngest, yeah. or the oldest. These these waves do come. These ups and downs. These choppy times. Right, right. Tom, it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if I've thought about it that much, but is it fear giving way to doubt, or doubt giving way to fear? Um, there's so much intense emotion in this text you know the disciples fearing for their lives and then all of a sudden they see a ghost coming at them across the water and so they're as professor sorum said screaming out like schoolgirls and in terror and then all of a sudden jesus calms them and says no it's i and then peter almost i can almost picture him euphorically just going hey let me come out on the water just total swing of emotion right and then all of a sudden back so I guess there's some lesson to be drawn there, definitely, and that is, uh, though emotions are not evil, they sure can, they sure can lead you to draw wrong conclusions. And faith is much more rock steady. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's much sermon material there, but it's just an observation. Yeah, I, I think we can all relate to that, and our listeners can too. Just the uh, these. Uh, high pressure situations, or maybe it's just kind of the the routine grind of life that that lead us into these big emotional uh, emotional swings, and uh, we need Jesus to steady us during those times. Um, speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about uh, the the gospel emphases in the text, or how you bring those out in a unique way. Um, ideas there that you can share with preachers. Um, or things you key off of to proclaim the gospel here? Uh, Alan? Yeah, I think there's just so much in the text that shows a tender-hearted Savior who knows us, who's patient with us, is constantly calling us not only to his side, but to share with him in the Great Commission. 
you know, that the whole point of Matthew is, is calling people to become true disciples of Jesus, true Jews, as it were, true sons of Abraham to participate in the Great Commission. But he does so, so, so tenderly with so much um, encouragement. Um, I think that's really an important thing to bring out as we, I, I just preached last Sunday, um, not on the Great Commission, but leaning heavily on it. And I'm always a little uh, afraid of how I present that, that it comes off at just as third use of the law, get busy and do what you ought to be doing here, instead of really drawing the way I would like to draw on the gospel to make it a, a natural response of somebody. And, and I think here you have the, 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 the content with which to really show why we want to carry out the Great Commission. Okay. Um, and I know... Um, I've heard, I heard Professor Daniel Deutschlander talk about this, or he might have been referring to the Mark account, but he would point back to also um, the call of the apostles. And that was in our, our previous sermon series, um, Matthew 10, you know, sheep without a shepherd, and then Jesus sends out the 12. Uh, and, and Professor Deutschlander would point out, you know, the, uh, the disciples should have known they weren't going to die here on the lake that day because they hadn't really yet been sent out on the full mission that Jesus had promised them they would be sent out on. They could have had confidence there. Um, but I, that, that's kind of another angle, um, maybe more to do with the malady, but Alan, your words made me think of it too. Just kind of the big, the big picture uh, connection here with the great commission and this, uh, this text, Tom. Going back to your thought, too, about the tender heart of Jesus, I, um, one time when I preached on this years ago, instead of reading the text, I showed the um, nest entertainment dramatization of the text in Matthew. I don't know if you ever saw that, but it's word for word on IV. And uh, I always talk about there they have the smiley Jesus. He's always giggling and he's always cracking jokes and um once he comes out onto the water and Peter sinks and he, he lifts him back up and he holds Peter very tight as they're standing on the water and he is just laughing and, oh, you have little faith. I mean, they just hear this loving voice and just say, I knew you wouldn't, you wouldn't trust in me, but it just seemed like a different take on it. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously some interpretation being done there, but Jesus just loving him and saying, this is the lesson I want you to learn. That's why I invited you out of the boat. And I just um, thought of that when Professor Storm was talking about the tender heart of Jesus. I, I think he had a real good purpose in mind when he said to Peter, why don't you come out of the boat and I'm going to teach you something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the master teacher uh, ready to, to teach something. And uh, yeah, with uh, this dramatic experience, but Jesus there supporting him, lifting him up with his love. Andy? Just the opportunity to include in that to intertwine with the compassionate heart of Jesus here, the way that God's power is exercised. God's power is often exercised, not only in a compassionate way, but for a compassionate purpose. Uh, for example, in this case, we know that he, Matthew is trying to bring out that Jesus is the son of God here. And um, he exercises the power at the feeding of the 5,000, uh, his omnipotence here and walking, not just uh, feeding the 5,000, but it's his power that enabled Peter to walk out under the water. It's his 
power that prevented Peter from sinking, even if it was reaching out his hand. I doubt it was just, uh, you know, a strong Monday morning curl that had prepared Jesus to be able to help lift Peter out of the water. And then Jesus eventually, we assume at the end of the story, the reason the winds calmed down had something to do with Jesus. And that this all impresses upon these men that he is the son of God. It is, there's a lot in, involved here, but to be able to have that kind of power and exercise it in a way that doesn't crush people, but constructively mm -hmm. lifts people up, rebuilds people. Um, these, this is the kind of uh, intersection between the power of God and the compassion of Christ that can diminish doubt and can dispel fears. So the gospel as the, the power of Jesus, but being exercised in a way that just, uh, um, reveals his compassion toward his struggling disciples and wanting to lift them up and, and instruct them and strengthen them. Tom? It's kind of interesting, too. I'm not sure if it fits into the sermon, but as you see a progression, um, when Peter sees the great catch of fish very early on, he his response to the reality of Christ's power is, go away from me, Lord, I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a sinful man. And then when Jesus stands up and calms the storm, um, they ask the question, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And here on this occasion, when he steps in the boat and everything goes calm, they're like, he really is the son of God. So I don't know if that progression is a le legitimate thing, but it's interesting in the different responses. And here the, the test of faith, they certainly come to the right conclusion. They come to the conclusion of faith and Again, I think doubt can be really frustrating for a Christian because you know better, but then the winds start to blow and, and you, uh, you fall back to your own limitations again. And that's why we got to keep that Romans 8 passage in our pocket and in our heart all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it, it, it is the love of God from which nothing can separate us that sustains us and lifts us up. Um, it is fascinating to see here how the, the faith of the disciples is built. Um, Jesus could have built it in any number of ways, but letting them experience the helplessness on the sea and letting Peter sink uh, and, and wrestle with their own fears and doubts, um, but then he's there to support them. So the, the experience considered as a whole um, just fascinating the way the Savior teaches his disciples here. And, and maybe we can see something of a parallel in our lives, too, um, as we go through these wind and wave situations and, and need to rely on Jesus, uh, crying out for him to save us, and, and he does. Um, ideas for preachers um, for, uh, well, do you have theme ideas that you're kind of working with here? Um, I mean, this is a, a just a classic text, uh, and maybe uh, keeping it simple is is fine. Um, pointing to Jesus as the one who is there in the midst of the wind and the waves. Uh, but uh, any ideas there for preachers that you would uh, care to share, Andy? Sure, just a working theme. It's very very simple, but uh, something like walk in faith part one, fearlessly, part two, worshipfully. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't know if it divides perfectly that way, but that might be, you know, a simple direction you could go. And uh, just a, one thing keying off some of the things that have been brought up already too. I, I got a, 
smile on my face at one point in a podcast that Professor Sorum was on a long time ago, but he, he talked about how we have a, could there, could there be any more proof that we have a deluxe Mamma Jamma savior? Remember saying that? Um, <laughs> maybe not. I just, I, I just got a kick out of that. I probably and, said it three or four times in the last 40 years. Andrew. Yeah, that, that, uh, <laughs> that, that got a rise out of me. It was funny, but, uh, but I really like it in the sense of, um, application for this sermon where you can guide your people to stop asking the question all the time, do I have faith? Would I have done what Peter did? Probably. I probably would have walked out and then sunk, or maybe I wouldn't have had enough courage or faith to walk out altogether. I just don't like uh, directing people in that way. I'd, I'd rather them, when they're doubting or when they're afraid, you you repeat the question, do I have a savior? Do I have a savior? And the answer is always yes, always. And then the kind of savior you have, Christ Jesus, the son of God, who exercises this power, with Christ, there is no big ask. There is no circumstance you can find yourself in that he would not or could not respond to. He's the son of God. The water falls beneath his feet. <laughs> as easily as land. So I, I just, I thought that there's an opportunity there when you're talking about walking in faith fearlessly and worshipfully to sort of bring out some of those applications too. Great. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Uh, further uh, thoughts for preachers, either by, by way of applications or their theme ideas, Tom? I'm just going to, without mentioning them too much, but just point some of the guys who are doing some research for this sermon um, Alfred Adersheim has a really nice commentary on it, and one of the things he just mentions and, uh, is that this was a kind of a unique miracle in that it wasn't necessarily even fulfilling a need to walk across the water like that, but um, just says it's a, an amazing one that left them all in wonder, and it's good to stand in wonder of God that way. So that's worth looking at what Alfred Adersheim wrote. And then also Psalm 107, verses 23 to 31 kind of describe this so beautifully uh, in obviously a different context. So just a couple of references right. to look to. Right, right. Uh, I know I've had students preach on that text and, and brought in that same Psalm 107 reference, uh, just kind of beautifully ties things together. Um, yeah, the uh, the power uh, that Jesus displays uh, and the compassion that he displays, those are, I mean, two kind of com big themes throughout all his miracles, but just noting how in a unique way uh, we see it in this particular account, um, very comforting. Um, so uh, it goes without saying probably, but in a, a sermon like this, if you're identifying kind of the goal of the sermon or the purpose of the sermon, um, it's to point people to Jesus and uh specifically Jesus as the solution, the remedy for our doubts, uh, our fears. Um, yeah. Any further thoughts as before we close on uh, this text, Alan? Yeah, just real quick. Notice the, the way Jesus processes our crisis moments compared to the way we process our crisis moments. I think an insight into that is just when he says, be of good cheer. Or I love the story that uh, Tom told about the video presentation where Jesus Jesus is laughing. Um, 
I think that you find some of that in the text when Jesus uses the vocative case to address uh, address his his friend Peter as oh you of little faith. I, I think there's lots there. Just compare um, how at peace Jesus is with our storming seas compared to how we respond and and like well how can we adopt more of that sense of peace and calm in the face of of turmoil well you you have that in the very objective um it is, it is i here here i am now whether you like that as a as a you know uh, an echo of exodus 3 or as as tom said earlier it's just jesus saying you you know my voice you recognize my voice i'm here with you i think that's an interesting uh, aspect of this text yeah, taking comfort in the fact that uh, Jesus is unfazed uh, by these things that terrify us and totally disorient us. Um, yeah, Jesus is is unfazed by these things and uh, remains um, our compassionate Savior, and uh, he himself is of good cheer and, and encourages us to take courage in those moments, too, relying on him. Uh, any further thoughts or closing thoughts uh, as we wrap up today? All right. Well, God bless you, preachers, as you work with this text. Um, uh, maybe not for the first time, or maybe it is, but uh, proclaiming the the grace and power of Jesus that answers our doubts and our fears. And uh, Andy and Tom, thanks for uh, working with us this series. Um, it's been a pleasure. So God bless you, preachers. <laughs>